Welcome to Inside New Mexico. I'm Derek Underhill, and I'm talking with our chairman of the Republican Party of New Mexico, former congressman of the 2nd Congressional District, Steve Pierce. Steve, are you enjoying the heat down there in Hobbs? It is mighty warm, I will tell you. Over the weekend, 108, 106, it was uh, just blistering hot. I walk usually about 5, 5.30 in the morning, and it was very oppressive heat. So, Derek, we've got another health order issued, and I was amazed at the governor's observations. So what she's done is she said that we have been misbehaving. A lot of people aren't wearing their masks. And so it seems like she is now punishing the restaurant industry. I have a friend, and I got his permission to use his name in his restaurant. Many people in Albuquerque are familiar with the Owl Cafe. It's a famous place, kind of a 50s-style place. He followed every rule. Every staff member is wearing a mask, including him. There's a sign on the door. If you want to come in, you must wear a mask. They wipe down the tables. You don't get ketchup and mustard or salt and pepper unless you ask for it, and then they wipe it down and bring it to you. And now he is being punished, even though there's no proof that anybody at the Owl Cafe has contracted COVID-19 there. That is what you call lack of due process. And yet, even in her press conference, she has admitted that we have been bad. We, as New Mexicans, have not been wearing our masks and following her rules. But she doesn't say it's coming from the restaurants. She's just closing the restaurants. Go to a big box store and look at all the people that aren't wearing masks there. And yet, the restaurant industry must suffer. Yeah, I think this is what makes people just mad and frustrated. They're scared is that her actions don't relate to our actions. If it's us, why shut down the restaurants? Why not come after us? And so it is like you all have been bad. So I'm going to shut down the restaurants just to get back at you all. Or Uh, or if there is a restaurant that is not following the rules, then shut that specific restaurant down. But you don't make everybody pay. And this is what I wanted to talk to you about today, because this is so clear, the difference between the Republican Party and the Democrat Party. We have an election coming up. There are definite differences between the two parties. You ran for governor. What would you be doing right now as governor of New Mexico? Well, we'd identify the people uh, and the, the populations where the problems were. First of all, I would not have done the broad shutdown. I think that there's plenty of example that says if we had let people be responsible for their own selves, for their own business, tell them the ways to succeed, tell them the risks, tell them the people who are not at risk, then I believe that people would have made good decisions. South Dakota is the one I constantly refer to because that's a friend of mine. I watch from a distance, feel proud of the choice that she's made. She's never shut down their economy, so their businesses are going to make it through this okay. In New Mexico, we already have 200 restaurants, over 200 restaurants that are closed permanently, and now then maybe up to 700 with this new order are going to be closed permanently. These are people who've lost everything. So the Albuquerque Journal has now issued an editorial this past week in which they say that, listen, you can't simply dismiss the economic devastation that's occurring by saying that uh, the Republicans are trading dollars for lives. They said it's not that simple, that the economic devastation is causing tremendous, tremendous damage to the state. But then they also talk about the young 11-year-old boy, Landon Fuller from Hobbs, 
who was just outgoing. He had all the friends and uh, he was like everyone else starting in the springtime, started staying home and just became depressed because he couldn't see his friends. He couldn't get outside and play, use that energy. His father had a pistol that he used to kill the, the rattlesnakes when he would go to his work in the oil field. And uh, the son took the, the pistol, walked into a field nearby and, and killed himself. And now then it's reported Dr. Heather Janelle, she's the interim director of the OMI, the Office of Medical Investigation here. They've got 2,300 unexpected deaths to where they're investigating. Some are car crashes, some are suicides, obvious suicides, some are disease-related or whatever, and they're investigating those because they're saying that these are definitely COVID-based deaths. 2,300 versus the number who have died from COVID is a massive number, and the governor seems to just disregard all of those when she's talking about her science. And so it's good to see the Albuquerque Journal come out with its editorial laying out that you can't just wipe this stuff away and, and act like it's not a problem. And this is part of the lawsuit that the Republican Party of New Mexico is bringing. How is that moving forward? The Supreme Court announced that they're going to hear that lawsuit on August the 4th. That's a long time for small businesses. We're still almost two weeks away, almost three weeks away from that. And so I'm just not sure many of the businesses will survive that long. We've said from the beginning that the governor had shown favoritism toward the big box stores and, and this bias against some businesses and that bias continues and in fact the bias is even getting worse and so it's good to have the albuquerque journal editorial that is calling her out and saying quit being so simplistic in your definitions look at these other effects because they are just as valid as the mortality from the covid 19. what i'm now seeing is that people are beginning to fight back the restaurants are beginning to fight back and certain parts of the state we're already seeing people post on Facebook just openly saying my restaurant is going to be open come and join us and I'm encouraging people please please don't let these restaurants be there by themselves when the state police show up make your presence known make your voices heard let's support those who have the courage to get out and say I'm not going to lose everything because just a reaction by the governor that says oh you restaurants haven't made a mistake but the people did and I'm going to shut you the restaurants down that's nonsensical and so I'm urging people to look at the restaurants in your area who are saying we're going to push back. So Wex in Santa Fe and Farmington has said they're going to keep their doors open. So don't let this business owner be out there alone by themselves. This is a very, very perilous time for the state. Once people are driven out of business, once they give up on New Mexico, uh, it's not going to be easy to get people back in. Well, we're not a business-friendly state to begin with, and I can tell you, when I was at the Owl, and he's fortunate, he has a patio, so he'll be able to keep that open, but the waitresses, I don't know if they were Democrats or Republicans, but they guarantee you they're getting laid off, and they are not fans of this governor. Yes, I'm fascinated by some of the Facebook posts. So I was looking at one that came in from Ute Lake. Again, the governor's new orders said that if you're from out of state, you're not welcome in New Mexico. You can't come here. We don't want you here. So at Ute Lake, there are many people who are from Texas, but they come over and, and buy expensive boats and put them on Ute Lake. And so I was reading a post by a Tiffany Angela Banning 
and then her sister Crystal Angeli Bennett. And so they're kind of uh, have a dual post going that, hey, we're from Texas and we confirmed it. The Ukulele Patrol said if you have a Texas driver's license, you're going to have to get your boat off the water. You're not allowed to be on the lake. Again, these are people who have bought homes in New Mexico around the lake. They have bought boats in New Mexico. They said, we're just going to take our money and we're going to go back to Texas. And that unfriendliness that you referred to, Derek, that's the reputation we have as a state. It defies the imagination that a governor could be that short-sighted that she says we're going to look here and save every life we can. I'm sorry, but the mortality rate in New Mexico is one of the lowest in the nation. And so she says it's because what I'm doing is working. No, I don't think so, because South Dakota has a lower mortality rate than us, and they haven't had to pay any economic penalty. I am talking with Steve Pierce, chairman of the Republican Party of New Mexico. We will return in just a moment with our special guest on Inside New Mexico. Attention, New Mexico veterans. If you were honorably discharged from the U.S. Armed Forces, you've earned state and federal benefits, and the New Mexico Department of Veteran Services is standing by to assist you. State benefits include a veteran's property tax exemption, education and training, and transportation services. We can also assist with claims for federal VA benefits. The state of New Mexico and this radio station thank you for your service. More information at nmveterans.org or 1-866-433-8387. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico with Steve Pierce and our special guest. Well, as we mentioned in our previous segment, Derek, we have a special guest, Dr. Larry Allen. He's got a great background. I'm going to let him tell you most about that. But the thing that sticks out to me is that he's one of the black Republicans that has a very conservative voice in New Mexico. He's been a member of the police force one of the first black policemen in New Mexico. He's a pastor at one of the churches. I will let him talk about that. But Dr. Allen, uh, thank you so much for being with us today. And uh, what part of the state are you in right now? All right. Hi. It's glad to be here. I'm in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Albuquerque, New Mexico. And I suspect it's only in the mid-70s there. We've got about 106 going here in Hobbs as we record the program today. But I hope you're doing well. I hope your family is safe and that uh, you all are making your way through this COVID-19 situation as well as possible. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, I'll go pretty fast. I was uh, born in Fedville, West Virginia, but my mom moved. While I was a little baby, we moved to New York City, so I was raised in New York City from three months old further. First time in New Mexico, I, well, I went to college, I flunked out, and during those days, you had to be in a career or have a job or you had to go to the military. So I'm really excited. I got to go to the military where I grew up. I got stationed here at Sandia in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Went back to college, and then uh, state police wrote me a letter and asked me if I was interested. So I was, so I joined uh, state police, not knowing that I didn't know that I was going to be the, one of their first black officers, but I had never looked at stuff that way. And so I was fortunate enough to graduate from the academy uh, station in Gallup. On my sixth year, uh, I became a Christian, received Jesus as my Savior, felt the call to go into the ministry. Stayed with the state police for another five years, almost the 11th year. I resigned from the state police, uh, went to seminary, and went through their whole program and started planting churches. Kind of funny, the neighborhoods or communities that I went to, my wife and I would be the only black couple in that little town, like a little town called Hillsboro. I'm really light-complected. My wife is medium-complected, so they thought it was a mixed marriage. And so the reason why I said that is that every place I planted a church has been mostly, it was started out with mostly uh, white couples, and then we became a multicultural church. 
and that's what we have now. I'm uh, 76, going to be 77 in uh, February. Still running, lifting weights, acting like I'm 18, but I ache and all the time because I do more than I should. I have uh, two boys. Uh, my youngest son, John, just retired from Bernalillo County Sheriff's Office. My oldest boy is still an entrepreneur running businesses. Got five grandkids, a wife that still loves me in spite of me, and I'm doing well. How do you read all the things that are going on right now nationwide, the defund the police movement? How are you responding to that? I'm responding with uh, at other groups that I talk to, but also uh, right across the pulpit, because now the things that are the people are supposed to know is what would be the biblical opinion on what we're talking about. But how I'm responding to that, I have to smile because you had two things going on that I thought, maybe three that I thought your question. One of the problems that we have is we have a bunch of uneducated people. So that's why I was really adamant about starting a school so that we could teach kids how to walk, how to talk, how to dress, and then how they're supposed to be responding to society. So we have basic ignorance. Now, why would I say that? One of the things I always say when I open it up is that the last thing any city or state should do is defund their police department. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to know if you don't have police on the street, crime is going to rise. And what are we seeing? In a lot of instances, a lot of those people that are making poor decisions and touting, I I guess I'll use that word, have no idea what they're saying or what they're doing. So I would normally, I just wrote an op-ed on that, not defund, let's reform. Uh, rather than the funding, and so the, we need police officers. Then Absolutely. I get very irritated because I was a police officer. There's a lot of law enforcement. So when we say police officers, there's a lot of law, excellent, great law enforcement out there. We have one bad cop that's now representing all those other good cops where what he did was an absolute crime. What he was doing is not policy. It's not procedure. He was committing a crime. Now, I know I'm not supposed to judge, but you saw it on television just as well as I do. So now all those good officers are being judged because of what one bad officer did. And then that leads to the fact is it shows where we have weaknesses in our departments, regardless of who they are or how great they think they are. We need to have some better recruiting policies and stronger selecting process. It's my opinion, but I'm judging from outside, that the police union, while it serves uh, very good functions, also is an impediment to get rid of the bad policemen. Is that a correct observation or is that just too simplistic? No, I think it's correct. So I may as well lose some friends right now. Police unions, when they first started, the unions might have been needed because sometimes the people working for those departments weren't treated very well, but they're kind of like the NEA. They've lost their vision, and so now they're hampering more than you can imagine. I'll just use one topic. So let's take a police officer that gets written up for improper use of force, regardless of what the level is. There should be a major investigation, and if he violated any of those policies, he should be fired. But now it's kind of like hard to get rid of bad policemen. But if they prove to be uh, not suitable for wearing that badge that many of us have sacrificed life's blood for, they need to be fired. I know I'm sounding kind of cold, but us mossbacks, us old-timers, will tell you that you can't tolerate a person who doesn't want to follow the rules and understand that his job or her job is to serve and protect and arrest as may be necessary. Colin Kaepernick tweeted out that July the 4th is a white supremacist holiday. How do you respond to things like that? <laughs> okay, I have to be nice because I'm a pastor. I'm so sorry that I have an idiot football player supposedly representing what all of us believe that went to college and doesn't know anything about his history. I think it's absolute asinine, and I can't believe anybody would use him to be an example for our young kids out there. I think he's an absolute idiot. Excuse me for being so bold, but that's how I feel. The idea about systemic racism in the U.S., any thoughts on that? I, I do have a lot. So sometimes we don't make a differentiation or distinction 
And so I get a kick out of that. We go to some states or some cities where the majority of the people that are, or the high officials in that government are all black or all blue or all green. And then I would say, so let's say that they're all black. So where does the systemic racism come in? Except, and here's what happens a lot of times. So uh, as a black fellow, I'm light-complected. So in, uh, where I was raised in the ghetto, we'd be called high yellow. There is racism out there. And I, I think sometimes when they're saying systemic racism, I think they are trying to explain something that they don't know that they're talking about and forgetting that there's racism everywhere. And all we're supposed to do now is address it. Uh, when it comes up so that people understand where we're coming from and not just be silent about it. So it was about like when I went to the state police. I'm raised in Harlem, New York, and then I went to Bed-Stuy, which is in Brooklyn, which is just Harlem, New York, in Brooklyn. And so when I went to the state police as the first state police officer, every now and then the person would use explosive words and phrases, what some people would say, the N-word, and then all of a sudden they would realize that I was black, and they would say stuff like, well, well, you're different. We like you. We like you. You're a different black person. I go, no, I'm a human being just like you, and you haven't had the training or you don't understand what you're talking about. And that's what I mean about systemic. That's just like there is racism and it's not always systemic. Now, am I saying that there might not be some systemic racism somewhere, but now they need to make sure to identify it and then kill it. And we're living in the great United States of America, and it can happen. I really do appreciate that insight that you're giving to us. We've been speaking to Dr. Larry Allen. So I appreciate your lifetime of service, both uh, with the state police and uh, your bouncing back from being a college dropout to where you now are PhD leading young Americans across this state. So thank you, Dr. Allen. I appreciate your time on the program today. God bless you and uh, may your efforts all be successful. Thank you, sir. And it was an honor to be with you. Steve Pierce and I will return in just a moment with more Inside New Mexico. On behalf of the New Mexico Department of Health, take COVID-19 precautions. Wash your hands frequently for 20 seconds. Don't touch your face. Use a tissue or your elbow to catch your sneeze or cough. Avoid large gatherings and close contact with sick people, especially if you are elderly or high risk. If you have a cough, fever, or shortness of breath, stay home from work or school. Do not go to the ER or doctor's office without first calling the coronavirus hotline. And avoid all unnecessary out-of-state travel. Help prevent the spread of COVID-19. Welcome back to Inside New Mexico with our chairman of the Republican Party of New Mexico, Steve Pearson. Steve, we're talking with Dr. Allen there in the last segment about the police, and you found a very interesting clip from Paul Harvey. Tell us about that. Paul Harvey, yes. Uh, He was always one of my favorites in the newscasting business, and he has a fascinating two-minute clip. I just want you to listen as he gives another side of police. So we see this thing that says that all police are bad, we're going to defund them. The Democrat Party nationwide seems to pick that up as a mantra. Listen as uh, Paul Harvey talks about policemen. Policemen. A policeman is a composite of what all men are, I guess, a mingling of saint and sinner, dust and deity. What that really means is that they are exceptional. They are unusual. They are not commonplace. Buried under the froth is the fact. And the fact is that less than one half of one percent of policemen misfit that uniform. And that is a better average than you'd find among clergymen. What is a policeman? He of all men is at once the most needed and the most wanted. A strangely nameless creature who is sir to his face and pig or worse behind his back. 
He must be such a diplomat that he can settle differences between individuals so that each will think he won, but if a policeman is neat, he's conceited. If he's careless, he's a bum. If he's pleasant, he's a flirt. If he's not, he's a grouch. He must make instant decisions which would require months for a lawyer, but if he hurries, he's careless. If he's deliberate, he's lazy. He must be first to an accident, infallible with a diagnosis. He must be able to start breathing, stop bleeding, tie splints, and above all, be sure the victim goes home without a limp. The police officer must know every gun, draw on the run, and hit where it doesn't hurt. He must be able to whip two men twice his size and half his age without damaging his uniform and without being brutal. If you hit him, he's a coward. If he hits you, he's a bully. The policeman from a single human hair must be able to describe the crime, the weapon, the criminal, and tell you where the criminal is hiding. But if he catches the criminal, he's lucky. If he doesn't, he's a dunce. He runs files and writes reports until his eyes ache to build a case against some felon who will get dealed out by a shameless Seamus. The policeman must be a minister, a social worker, a diplomat, a tough guy, and a gentleman. And of course he'll have to be a genius because he'll have to feed a family on a policeman's salary. So you have that view of police and you, you have this idea of defunding the police by the Democrats. It is expanding out into, we've got to take down every statue of anybody. You got to take down George Washington's statue. You got to take down Thomas Jefferson's statue. Even Abraham Lincoln, who literally almost by himself carried the Civil War on his shoulders. A lot of his Union generals did not want to be fighting their friends. They had all gone to West Point together. Their friends maybe were from the South. And so you had this resistance among the general great officers, though, that said, um, uh, well, we're just not going to fight this with full enthusiasm. And so Lincoln himself was president during the day. At nighttime, he was studying military rules so that he could call the shots and, and direct troops here and there. And even then, they don't want Lincoln to have any recognition at all. And let me read a quote from 1984. That's George Orwell's classic that talks about circumstances like this. He says in the book, and of course they're talking about a, a police state that has taken over, and he says, every record has been destroyed or falsified, every book rewritten, every picture has been repainted, every statue and street building has been renamed, every date has been altered, and the process is continuing day by day and minute by minute. History has stopped. Nothing exists except an endless present in which the party is always right. This is George Orwell's fiction as he was years prior to 1984, was taking a look at what the worst thing that could happen in that society, in any society, would be this takeover of thought, the thought police controlling everything you thought. I would recommend that as reading for people now because we're witnessing that same attempt. So in our lifetimes, we have seen the cultural revolution that has gone on in China. That's when the Red Guard came in, very similar to what is happening here. And their stated goal was to purge capitalist and traditional elements from society. If you look at the Black Lives Matter, if you look at the Marxists, they're saying they want to get rid of the capitalists. You even saw Representative Omar and 
the last week say exactly that. We want to destroy that whole system. We want to dismantle not just the capitalist system, but everything around it. Capitalism has brought more prosperity to more people. It has fed more hungry than any system in human history. And so these Marxists, number one, the useful idiots on the street that are spouting these kinds of things don't have a clue about the history. And so the Marxists actually refer to them from Stalin to Castro and now even today as the useful idiots who will parrot back what they're saying. But this destruction of the capitalist society says we want this country and the world to go hungry. If you look at the Black Lives Matter, the BLM website, you will see the declaration that they want to destroy the nuclear family, that is the male and female. They want to destroy all gender references. They want to destroy the traditional elements from society. And so when we say when we as conservatives, when we as Republicans, when we as people who worry about the future of the country and the values of the country say that this Marxist revolution is ongoing, it is because we've seen the same thing happen in China. We've seen the same thing happen in Cuba. We've seen it happen in Venezuela. And so it alarms us that there are people talking about the same sort of destruction in this country. George Orwell wrote 1984 in 1949, long before the internet, and yet he was talking about Big Brother is watching you. Many people started to see this socialist movement back in the 1930s and 40s. The movement continues and is even gaining momentum today. Gaining momentum, and uh, it is being taught in the universities and schools in America. So I see President Trump saying we're going to start teaching our young people about American history again. Derek, before we close out the program, just another important Supreme Court decision just came out last week. The Supreme Court affirmed that electors have to be bound by the popular vote in their state. Remember that we, the people, actually are voting for electors who then elect a president. But how the state votes in its popular vote, the Supreme Court says you can't go rogue and vote for the other candidate, even though your state may have voted for this presidential candidate. You, as the elector, can't go rogue. That became a really popular idea last time in 2016. Electors were saying that after it was obvious that President Trump was going to become president, they were saying they're going to go rogue and not vote for him. The vote last time was very close. And so just a few electors nationwide switching from the way their state said they should vote to the other candidate would have changed the outcome of the election. The Supreme Court says we're not going to allow that. Again, just major decisions coming out of the Supreme Court right now. I do want to remind our listeners to please stay engaged with what's happening with the Republican Party by going to their website at www.gopnm.org. You'll get the latest news, upcoming events, information about elected officials. There's voter resources there and all kinds of important and useful information about the party and its mission. You can listen to previous editions of Inside New Mexico there. And please check out the party's Facebook page. They also have a Twitter account. The handle is at New Mexico GOP. The Rep- Republican Party of New Mexico is always looking for volunteers to help them with their mission to win New Mexico for President Trump and to turn the roundhouse red. You can call the party headquarters at 505-298-3662. That's 505-298-3662. For Steve Pierce, I'm Derek Underhill. We'll look forward to meeting with you again right here next week on Inside New Mexico.